Can you imagine the first one of these that comes out in creation in Genesis 1 that, that we'll see ourselves in another 27 or 28 months <laughs> next spring? Life, abundance, creation, a generous God who tries to teach his children to live like that, to expand and grow. Last week, Matt talked about how life leads to grace, leads to abundance, lives to the way we live in gracious response. This is how the Bible starts. This is how the Bible starts in Genesis 1 with a great song of abundance, of praise for God's generosity. It it talks about how well the world was created. It keeps saying things like, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. It declares that God blesses plants and animals and fish and birds and human beings. And it pictures the creator saying, multiply, grow, be fruitful, stretch out. And I love it, at the very end of the creation, it comes here. Literally, creation comes here on the Sabbath. On that day where God is so overrun with fruitfulness that God says, I've got to take a break from all this. I've got to get out of the office, God says. And so do you. That's why you're here. That's, that's creation. The Bible's story is filled with examples of abundance that comes in unexpected places that get shared. And often the vehicle that's used to share abundance is food. So later on in Genesis, God blesses Abraham and Sarah and his family. And then God tells them to be a blessing themselves, that they are going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Bless the ones you run into. And so, Abraham finds some strangers coming to his tent. And he doesn't give them a kid's meal. He makes a feast for them. And they're angels who in turn bless him. And the story goes on, and the prophet Elijah asks a widow, a single mom, to share a meal with him. Please, I'm starving here. Would you give me something to eat? And she says... My boy and I were just about to eat the last little bit of food that we had and then die. But she shares. And as she shares the meal, it grows and it grows and they eat and they eat. Day after day, that last meal stays. The Bible tells the story of how a time where Jerusalem is besieged. It's like the story never ends. Jerusalem is still besieged. Jerusalem is surrounded by enemies And they are all starving. And some lepers say, might as well go out there and see if they'll feed us before they kill us. And they leave the city and they go out to the enemy camp and they find that in the middle of the night, God has scared away all of the enemy. And the tents are filled with food for a feast that they were going to celebrate their victory. The lepers go in, put their feet up on the tables, eat and eat and eat. And then they say, oh, this is crazy. We're stuffed, and they're starved. And so they call out to the people of the city to come 
and see how God has given them a feast. Out of unexpected abundance comes sharing that blesses others. There's one more story like that about food. I I really learned about it from the great Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann. Much of his thought is in today. He says the theme of abundance, that God said, I'll give you more, continues all the way through Genesis until chapter 47. Right at the end of Genesis, the story of Joseph, chapter 47 is when famine strikes the earth. All the nations of the earth are starving except for Egypt because God had sent Pharaoh a dream and Joseph to interpret and they stored great amounts of grain so that when everyone else is starving, they not only eat but open the storehouses to others. But Pharaoh makes everybody else pay for this food with their seed and then with their land, and finally with their freedom. So there is an explosion in Egypt and in the ancient world of inequality, a very few with great abundance, and a great many scraping by in scarcity. You know how the story continues. 400 years later, the Israelites are still slaves in Egypt. And you know the story about the plagues and God sending Moses and the Passover. Finally, Pharaoh becomes so exasperated by his inability to control the Israelites that he calls Moses and Aaron and he says, take your people, take your stuff, just get out. That's in Exodus chapter 12, verse 32. Just get your stuff and go. Then there's something I never saw. The second part of that very verse, after he says, get out of here, it says but would you bless me before you go? The great king of Egypt asks Aaron and Moses to put their hands on him and bless him. The ruler of all the abundance has made everything scarce. And he admits to this little community, you're the future. Before you go, lay your hands and bless us. Again, Abraham is blessed so that he can bless others. The Exodus is the story that shows that the power of the future is not in the hands of the people who control all the scarce resources. It's in the hands of the people who trust that God is abundant. Which one are you? So the Israelites leave. They Literally, they run for their life, right? They see the Red Sea parted, and they get away from Egypt. The waters close behind them, and they look out to their future, and it's a desert. And it says, all the Israelites set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin on the 15th day of the second month after they left Egypt. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. If we had just died back in Egypt, that would have been better. We sat around there with pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to die by starvation. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven upon you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough just for that day. In this way, I'll test them and see whether they'll follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in twice as much as on the other days. And that very evening, quail 
a bird came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew. And when the dew was gone, little thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, Manwe, Manwe, which means, what is it? Manwe. And Moses said, it is manna, the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everybody, gather as much as you need. Take enough for every person in your tent. And so the Israelites did that. Some gathered a lot. Some gathered a little. And when they measured it, the one who gathered a lot didn't have too much. And the one who gathered just a little didn't have too little. Everyone had just what they needed. And then Moses said, no one is to keep any of this until the morning. But some of them, they didn't pay any attention. They hoarded part of it until the morning, but it was filled with maggots and it started to smell and Moses was furious. I I guess I had never seen before in the story that part of this is because they had created a public health hazard. The rotting food, the bugs, the crowded conditions. Moses is angry because our actions always have consequences for others. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but what we do always affects others. Back to the story. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want, boil what you need. Save whatever is left over and keep it until the next morning. The Sabbath. The book of Exodus records a contest between God's song of generosity and the drumbeat myth of scarcity, that there's not enough. It's a contest to see who can get enough. And deciding which song we're going to listen to is still with us. When the children of Israel are out in the wilderness, beyond the reach of Egypt, they still look back and they think, really? Really, should we go? All the money and food in the whole world is back there in Egypt. But when they finally turn around and they look out into the wilderness where there are no more storehouses, all they can see is wilderness and God. Just like us, just like you, just like me, when things aren't going well, when they're hungry, they get cranky and they complain and they fear and something extraordinary happens. God's love comes trickling down out of heaven in the form of bread and they say, Manwe, mana, what is this? The meaning of manna is that the gifts of life are by a generous God and those gifts are enough. It's a wonder, it's a miracle, it's an embarrassment, it's irrational. But God's abundance transforms our fear of the future. As I read the story, three things happen to the bread, right? First, everybody has just enough. But because Israel had learned to live in the land of scarcity where a few had a lot and everybody else scraped by... And they were scrambling for food. People started to hoard the food. That's the second thing. They started to compete for manna. 
Some of us still are. They started to compete for manna. When they tried to bank it, invest it, it turned sour, it rotted because you cannot store up God's generosity. You have to share it or it rots. And third, Moses said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to do what God told us at the beginning of the story in Genesis. We ought to have a Sabbath. Sabbath means there's enough bread for tomorrow. We don't have to hustle every day of our lives. People who think their lives are always on the run to get more and more, they never slow down enough because they are afraid there won't be enough. That's some of you. The gospel story of abundance, abundant love, abundant gifts, abundant life, says we were made by the incredible love of the God who created the world. Right from our birth, we're created. I loved it that one of our new members, Michelle, was baptized this morning because our baptism declares that every one of us has been miraculously reborn into the childhood of God. Abundance says that our lives, as long as we are with God, will end in God. Abundant life cannot be taken away. The Apostle Paul says, I've become absolutely convinced that nothing in all creation, neither life nor death, angels or demons, not heaven or hell, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Don't be afraid. Be generous. I love that. I wish I could live like that. But if you're like me, you read your Bible on good days, right? You come here or you, you, re, or you open the Bible, somebody says something, you read the Bible on good days, but every day you watch ads like this. It is more recognizable than just about any symbol on the earth. It's Nike. And the message of of Nike is just do it. Get out there. We are our achievements. We must learn every day how to earn it for ourselves. According to the Nike story, the one that works the hardest and gets the most shoes, they win at the end. The Nike story says don't share the gifts because there is no giver. You earn it. So... The real issue is, can the good news of God's abundance be trusted in the face of scarcity in the world? The story of scarcity is a story of death and fear and hoarding and competition and comparison, tipping people instead of tithing to God. So I look good but I'm holding on to what I really need. It says they started to compete for the manna. They turned it into junk food. And the people of God countered the fear of scarcity by telling over and over and over the story of the manna. There is a more excellent bread than the wonder bread you buy in the store. It's the bread of life. You don't have to bake it, but you can't store it. You have to share it. Is that what you model? 
Is that what your life says, which kind of bread you're eating? What are you modeling for your children and your grandchildren? Do they see you giving gifts that you almost cannot afford? Do they, do they see you serving those who have less? Do they stand with you as you do families moving forward? Do they learn from you as you go and visit people in the hospital? Or do they see you on the treadmill, the one who is always working, always there, always saying, get better grades, work a little harder, do this, we've got to run to the gym. Are we making meals for the homeless? Have you ever given them the joy, the embarrassing joy? Think about those two words together. The embarrassing joy of ringing Salvation Army bells as a family. It's a great thing because you get embarrassed by the people who walk by and won't meet your eye. Do you model what giving looks like? Like this? Or like this where you throw out a couple little things? Do you model it so that your children will know why it's important to receive manna and give it away? Jesus didn't take that many words. He didn't need all the words I do. He said it a lot more succinctly. You cannot love money, mammon, you can't love money and God. You're going to serve one or the other. You can't do what you please with your money or your land and still say, I love God. And then Jesus says, don't be anxious. Everything will be given to you, but you have to decide. Christians have a long story, a long history of trying to squeeze Jesus out of their real life and reduce him to a private little savior on Sundays. Unlike what happens in the Bible. See, everywhere Jesus goes, the world gets rearranged. The blind get sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are freed from debt. The forgiveness of debts may be the hardest thing to do. Maybe even harder than raising the dead to life. Because these are the gifts that we hold on to so tight. Jesus left ordinary people. He left them dazzled and amazed and grateful. But he left the powerful people. He left the people of Edina and Minnetonka and surrounding suburbs. He left powerful people often angry and upset. Because every time he performed a miracle, they lost a little of their specialness. The miracles dazzle us, but they should also make us a little nervous. Jesus starts right from the beginning, right, by feeding people. He tells the fishermen, throw it over the other side, and the net bursts with this miraculous catch of fish. Then he says, I'll leave it there. Let's go fish. I'll show you to fish for something else. He teaches 5,000 people with no food how God alone can give them what they need. And they share and the food multiplies. And when he leaves them, he shares one more meal with them. He says, this is what you'll need. And the word that created the world became the bread of life. And he says, there's always room for one more at this table. 
Jesus is reincarnating Genesis 1. When people forget, Jesus is the word of creation. The word speaks, the world happens. They forget that he's the bread of life, and then they start to live for junk food. I love junk food. I go right past the organics to McDonald's. It's, it's the way I am built. Too often, the church forgets living bread and is tempted by the junk food of competition or comparison or hoarding what we have. Jesus was rich. Jesus had it all. But Paul says, for your sakes, Jesus became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. You know, today we say it takes money to make money. You got to invest to get more, right? The Apostle Paul says it takes poverty, it takes poorness of spirit to receive abundance. You, uh, all of you who are members, you got our stewardship letter that Jonathan talked about this last week. Paul wrote a stewardship letter too to the Corinthians. And Paul ends his ask for money by quoting this quote. He says, And the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. Have we heard that before today? That's in Exodus. That's when the manna comes. He says, trust God, the giver of gifts. It turns the wilderness into abundance. It turns scarcity into generosity. Sometimes the people who have the least show us that the best. My, um, my good wife and I, Uh, took our kids on a mission trip to the border of Mexico where with a group of us from the church, we would, in one week's time, build a very rudimentary house for a family. Actually, that's not right. We didn't build it for the family. We built it with the family. They worked with us all week. And at the end of the week, we had a little ceremony where we prayed and we planted a little tree. And then we said, why don't we have a feast, a fiesta? And at the end of that time, we would always ask, our group would always ask, would you like us to bring in the food to your new house, or would you like to go out for a meal? They would every single time say, oh, let's go out, let's go out, let's go out. And uh, three of the years that we were there, we said, where would you like to go? And they said, we'd love to go to McDonald's, because that's where the rich people live. That's where the rich people eat. They never got to go to McDonald's. So we took seven or eight of their family to McDonald's and the kids are playing in the playground and the kids are eating like locusts and they're having a great time. And at the end of the meal, Laura starts to clean up so they don't have to clean up. She's cleaning everybody's plate up and she comes to a little boy who's got his half of his stuff still there and it's all neatly wrapped up. And she goes, oh, let me take it from me. And the kid goes, no, 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 para mi abuela, para mi abuela. No, no, no. She says, that's okay, honey, I'll do it, I'll do it. No, mi abuela. She said, sweetie, let me serve you. And she takes the trash, and the kid is talking to his mom. Blah, 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 blah. Laura doesn't speak very good Spanish. <laughs> she turns to me, and she goes, what does this mean? And so I turned to the little boy, and the little boy said, la comida es para mi abuela que tiene hambre. That means the food, my food was for my grandmother who's very hungry. He was saving half of his Big Mac to take home to his grandma. 
the money that you, the food that you and I throw in the trash. So, of course, immediately it became my fault. And, uh, <laughs> and we bought 16 Big Macs, brought them home to Grandma. And what struck me out of that story from, what, 10 years ago? Is that my children got to watch a little boy eat half of his Big Mac and want to share the rest with his grandma. I would love to have seen the look on grandma's face when he comes back with a whole bag and said, look what I got, grandma, for you. Do we live, do we give as though God's going to run out of the bread of heaven? As though there's not going to be enough manna and so we have to hoard it and hold on to it and earn it. And only when we have too much are we going to give away a little Or do we trust that his mercies are new every morning? That he can take all that we have and serve others with his abundance. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you want to comfort the afflicted and you want to afflict the comfortable. I thank you that your word of manna causes me still to say, what is it? And you remind me and my friends here that you are the giver of all good gifts. And you want to teach us to trust you enough to share. Help my sisters and brothers here share ridiculously, open-heartedly, open-handedly, generously, so that people might might live and that their children who watch might believe that mom and dad and grandma and grandpa our aunts and our uncles they trust God enough to give it away bless us with joy great joy in your name amen